This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Now, Connected to Chicago. And welcome to Connected to Chicago. It's that time of year when thoughts turn to charity and doing something to help others. And with us today is Captain Javier Montenegro. He's the Divisional Secretary of Programs for the Salvation Army. Welcome and thanks for joining me today, Captain. Thanks for having me. So for those that are not too familiar, tell us all about the Salvation Army. What's the mission? Yeah, the mission uh, of the Army is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human need in His name without discrimination. And we've we've been doing that uh, throughout the world for about 150 years. And in the Chicagoland area, we've been meeting needs for decades. And it's been really neat to see, especially during the holiday seasons, as we've been supporting families um, with toys and food, and then not only during the holidays, but throughout the year, supporting people. The generosity we've seen as people have come and supported us uh, through our fundraising season has been really amazing as we've done what, what we've tried to do during this Hope Marches On fundraising campaign. And that's probably uh, the most recognizable part about the Salvation Army is the Red uh, Kettle campaign uh, and, and folks out there, bell ringers and uh, collecting. How is the campaign doing uh, this year? Yeah, our Hope Marchers on campaign, the goal for it was $18 million. And it was an ambitious goal because there are many needs in the community, and, and we've seen people struggle paying their rent and, and mortgage assistance, and we've had people that have come to us for the very first time asking for assistance. Um, so this year we've been down in our kettles and in finding bell ringers, but what's encouraging is that the giving has still been there, um, especially online. We've noticed our online giving has remained consistent um, and consistent with national uh, patterns and giving patterns online. So that's been really encouraging that even in the midst of such a difficult season for everybody, the generosity in this area has been really, really amazing to see. And people are still supporting us, knowing the, the work that we do not only during the holidays, but throughout the year. I got to ask, because it seems to happen a lot, any gold coins pop up this year? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. We've had a few gold coins. And what's so neat about gold coins is that those are anonymous donations, for the most part, that people just drop them in. We have no idea who they are, and they're just giving of their heart. And what's what's neat is, again, one coin, depending on how much it weighs, it could be over $1,000 in value. And it also helps to raise public awareness to what we're doing to our campaign. So it gives us you know, support financially, but also awareness to what we're doing. So it's really neat when people decide to do that anonymously. We're still in this pandemic, right? We're not out of it. We've got another wave coming through now. But it seemed like the height of it maybe was last year. How are things uh, for you all? It, you know, you said that... Uh, a little bit of trouble maybe finding folks to uh, go out and um, stand by those kettles. How has the Salvation Army uh, managed in these times of uh, the COVID pandemic? For sure, it's been challenging for everybody. Um, but I think um, what we've seen in just with, with us over the years, whenever there's been ups and downs, we've still tried to meet the needs in our community. So just even in the last year, We've distributed over $1.6 million in emergency assistance for rent, mortgage, utilities. Last year, we gave out 250,000 articles of clothing and gifts and toys during the holiday season. This year, we gave out 16,000 food boxes. 
So, yes, it's been challenging and tough, and we've seen need increase, but I think we've risen to that challenge um, to meet those needs. And what's, what, what's been, again, encouraging is that we get support from the community, and it's because of the community support that we get, because of generous people in the area, that we're able to do all that we do. So we don't do it alone, certainly. We do it with the collaboration of generous people here in Chicagoland. And, of course, this time of year, again, like we said, we, we think about the Red Kettles and the Hope Marches on campaign. But you do more than that, don't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're, we, we're well known for that, and that's something that we're known for, and, and it's great. We come out with the Red Kettles every year, and just last Saturday I was out playing my trombone at a kettle. But throughout the year, we have 50 social service programs that serve every single zip code in the Chicago area. We do food pantry, emergency assistance after-school programs, music education, shelter for the homeless. We have a rehab unit for people that are struggling with substance use. So there's so many things that we do throughout the community throughout the year that doesn't just happen during the holidays, but we want to be able to meet those needs all year round. You know, and uh, one of the things I saw uh, was that uh, you all were collecting money to help those that uh, were devastated by the tornadoes that hit, uh, what, nine states. I think Kentucky was the hardest hit. What's the latest there? What uh, kind of resources uh, did you guys help with? Yeah, so what, what's neat about the Army is because we're a community organization, we're uniquely placed to respond to natural disasters where they happen, because for the most part, we're really close to any of those communities. So as those communities suffered, and very, very tragically, during the holidays, we were able to respond very quickly with our canteens, which are emergency food trucks for um, emotional and spiritual care and giving out food um, to families that, that have lost everything. Um, and so that's been really neat to see, um, again, being able to respond very, very quickly. Um, and with, with us, we have a national network in the Salvation Army. So if, if there's a big enough disaster, and we saw this with hurricanes and if the tornadoes are really big, they can pull resources from other in other areas. So to date, we haven't been pulled from the Chicago area, but we're ready to go anywhere whenever there's a, a disaster and we're called to assist, um, even if it's not in our local area, al- although we are ready to support locally if something like that happens. I understand that there's that initial response and there's food and water and help with the shelter and clothing and stuff like that. But uh, you guys will probably remain there in that community uh, to help as they recover, right? Because there's more needs just beyond the initial reaction and, and those basic needs. Oh, that's right. I mean, to restore and help a community get back on its feet, especially in, in that utter devastation, is going to take months, if not years. And we're certainly committed um, to supporting the people and the communities there um, as they're going to be struggling for a while. So, yes, the, the, right now it's on the top of everyone's mind, and it just recently happened. But in time, we, we may not hear it on the news as often, but the need will still be there, and we're still going to be there helping those people that are still struggling. We're talking with Captain uh, Javier Montenegro, who's a Divisional Secretary of Programs for the Salvation Army. Uh, a lot of folks thinking about uh, the holidays and what they can do to help others. I know that the Salvation Army, it's, I meant for lack of better words or better term, I'm going to say it's church-based, religion-based, but for those uh, that want to volunteer uh, that are outside of the church, perhaps. I, are there opportunities for them to do that? 
Oh, absolutely. Like there's, again, we, we try to collaborate with all kinds of people that would want to volunteer, whether they're faith-based or not, or another faith. Um, certainly when you want to help a community, we need everybody to come in and support. So anyone that wants to come and volunteer, whether it's during the holidays or throughout the year, we're definitely open. Um, again, we need to work together to help our community and anybody that wants to step in and help support us, help others, we'd welcome that. Does the Salvation Army get together with other groups like yours uh, to collaborate and to work on these uh, efforts, uh, whether it's these emergency needs or all year round needs? Yeah, definitely. With with emergency um, disaster services, for example, in, in natural disasters, there's definitely a partnership with other really great organizations that are already out there. Um, and there has to be a collaboration, as I said, with other uh, national disasters and and also meeting needs in the community. So I think we, we try to partner as best as we can with other organizations. I think that's really the best way to support the communities. Not one organization can do it by themselves. And there are many, many great organizations in Chicagoland that are helping people that have done it for a long time. And partnerships are really the best way um, to help. And I, I think we've done that. We definitely do that when there's uh, disasters and tornadoes. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. And when you go to these uh, disasters, for instance, let's go back to the tornado that uh, hit Kentucky, the biggest needs, probably the essentials. Are there any kind of out, outside the box kind of things you guys are, are ever approached for in, in, in trying to help folks? Yeah, I mean, I think, with, again, what's neat is people are so so wanting to give. I mean, we see things on, on on TV or you hear about them and there's just this outpouring of generosity. And and I think what, what we always recommend to people, um, especially with net natural disasters that are that are happening, is to give online, you know, a monetary donation, because that really does um, does help and then helps us to identify these are the things that we need to do at this particular moment. And it helps us to be flexible and creative. Maybe we need to buy, I don't know, maybe there's diapers we need to buy because there's, there's babies that are in need. Or maybe in one instance, we need more water and we're able, we're, we're able to, to purchase that to be able to address the specific needs that are happening at the moment. What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys face? I, I know that, you know, this time of year, people are more giving. Uh, but we know that giving just can't be this time of year. It should be a, a year-round event. But do you find, does the Salvation Army find itself um, ever in a lull um, where, you know, you kind of wish that the folks would dig a little deeper? I, I'm going to guess it's probably the middle of summer, right? Right, 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 right. I mean, we're we're definitely out there during the holiday season. This is our biggest fundraiser of the year. Seventy percent of our total donations happen during the holiday season. So it's a, it's a big fundraiser for us. And we try to be out there raising awareness of what we, of what we're doing, because it is important for us, but we, we want to build awareness of what we do throughout the year, because it does, it does matter what we do in March and April and May and over the summer with different summer camps that we're doing and day camps that are running throughout Chicagoland. And part of it is we need to help people be aware that it's not just we're not just a holiday organization. We're here throughout the year, and we want to help people be aware of that so they can contribute at other times of the year as well. I have memories of a child of Donut Day. Does that still exist? 
It does. It does. And donut day is really amazing thing. Not not a super healthy healthy day, right? But, uh, <laughs> a day where you can definitely enjoy donuts, and and that goes back to the Salvation Army's work in World War One, and in a tradition we started giving out donuts to soldiers being on the front lines, and that kind of carried over um, through the years. So it's really a neat a neat thing as as we were out in Europe during those really difficult days supporting the soldiers out there. You guys are in a lot of different countries. Um, I imagine the mission might be a little different in other countries and maybe those third world or developing countries. Uh, is there a big difference between the mission here in the U.S. and and elsewhere? Yeah, we serve in 132 countries around the world, um, many to many different languages and cultures and ethnicities. We have one mission, but it's expressed in different ways depending on the need that's there. So, for example, there's um, more medical units perhaps in some places or schools that we run. Here in the United States, we may not need that, so we provide other needs, but in other parts of the world, and the Salvation Army does run schools, which is a really neat thing, but it's an expression of our mission in a unique way, depending on what's happening in that part of the world. What can people do specifically this time of year to make a difference? What do you think? Yeah, so I think this year, if people want to support us, they can do a couple of things. So they could go to salearmychristmas.org. They can see volunteer opportunities. They can look for ways to support us financially. People can also go um, to registertoring.com. It's not too late to sign up uh, to be a bell ringer. Um, as I said a little bit earlier, I just did it last weekend um, out at Daily Plaza. Um, so there's still opportunities to connect with our fundraising campaign this year. But also on that website that I, that I gave, salarmychristmas.org, you can find more information about what we do throughout the year. So if there's something that really speaks to someone's heart, they can look at that and see how can I support that later on, even after Christmas. And the mission again from the Salvation Army is what? Our mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. So we help everybody, no matter what. We are a faith-based organization, so our faith really informs all that we do, and that really motivates us to help and serve in the community. Thank you so much, Captain Javier Montenegro, Divisional Secretary of Programs for the Salvation Army. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you for having me. Up next, Kim Gordon. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on 890 WLS. Chicago Scholars is looking for outstanding students to help them enroll in college. Joining me today is Jeffrey Beckham, the CEO of the nonprofit. Jeffrey, welcome to Connected to Chicago. Hi, thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. So tell us about Chicago Scholars and who benefits from this program. Yeah, Chicago Scholars is the largest college access program in the city of Chicago. For the past 25 years, we've helped students who are first generation, meaning they're the first in their families to go to school, uh, and students who are from low-income communities complete college with college counseling, mentoring, giving them the right opportunities and surrounding them with the right people, and then introducing them to the right colleges and helping them identify the right school so that they go off and they're successful and they graduate and come back and become the next generation of leaders our city needs. And so tell me, you said that's a very diverse makeup of students. So, you know, who are these students and where do they come from across Chicago? Yeah, our students come from all 77 communities. They're part of every racial group, demographic, and makeup you can imagine. 
uh, our students are highly academically ambitious, meaning that they're students who typically have a 3.0 or better in school. And so they've also proven that they're demonstrated leaders. And people often say, well, how do high school students do that, right? Well, these are the students that are, you know, playing sports, involved in extracurricular activities, and oftentimes they're working jobs or taking care of their brothers and sisters at home as well. So these students are very very diverse young people. 77% of our students are already giving back. So our students also believe in civic engagement and volunteerism and leadership. And so these are the young people who really are the future leaders of the city of Chicago. It really sounds like it. So I know that this process doesn't begin at the senior year when a lot of kids start applying to college. This begins much earlier, right? Right. So our program uh, actually is open right now. The, the application is open to high school juniors. So juniors apply, those who will graduate in the year 2023, and those students stay with us through their senior year. In that year, we provide them with uh, counseling, mentorship. We connect them to the right schools through our on-site college admissions forum, which is a large event that we do with over 200 schools annually. Uh, and those students are you know, then you know, propelled through school for the next five years to help them with, again, uh, internship opportunities and, and introductions to the right people and networks and more mentors. All in our programs, a seven-year program where students are surrounded with the right folks and resources to complete college and, you know, again, come back and be leaders in the city. So as I said before, you're now looking for these outstanding students and they can apply. So how did people go about applying if they're interested and qualify? The application is open now. They can apply at chicagoscholars.org backslash apply. Uh, the application is due February 9th. Again, uh, it, this is for students who live in and attend high school in Chicago and students who will be first-generation college students, either uh, the first in their families to go to school and or come from low-income communities. And so uh, we're excited to help students come in, identify their unique superpowers, uh, and, and get into those schools. It's such an exciting time for young people. And so once people um, apply, then when will they know if they're accepted into the program? Yeah, so the application process after is done, we'll do interviews in March and early April, uh, and then we'll construct our class. And so those students usually find out about the end of April, whether or not they've been admitted to the program. Uh, it, we do a, a big event around that, what we call students and celebrate their admissions in their program, and we'll admit about 600 students this year. So uh, we need applicants. Uh, we're looking for students to apply. And if you have a high school junior in your family that lives in the city and is academically ambitious, uh, send them our way. Have them apply, and, and hopefully they get in and we can support them. And how's the pandemic impacted the program? That's a really good question. It, the pandemic hit us hard. Um, as you can imagine, when students uh, come from low-income communities or low-income families, it, the problems of the pandemic were exacerbated. A lot of our students had to come home relatively quickly and quarantine. They didn't have the right computers that they needed access to. And many of our parents uh, lost jobs, right? And families even lost family members and loved ones. Uh, we were able to support students. We were able to raise over $200,000 and went directly to students, oftentimes paying for everything from housing and food and other essentials to helping students with, you know, final gaps that they needed to complete and pay, uh, you know, part, last parts of the tuition to graduate. Uh, it, that's another part of what we do. It's not only in you know, the college components, but also providing all the right supports that students may need to get through school in the moment. We know students face uh, a lot of challenges. So 
as students face those challenges, we're here to support them and provide emergency funding for our college students. So if something unexpected happens, they still have the financial support to finish school. So it sounds like the students are absolutely your number one focus, but you're kind of helping their families as well along the way. Yeah, we recognize that, you know, we have to support the entire student, and that often means that we find ways to support families, too. And we are very fortunate as an organization to have a massive network of other partners. And so we do a lot of strategic partnerships where if a student needs something or a family needs support, we make the phone call in the introduction for the student to find out what they need in the moment. You know, we know that when you're first generation and from low-income communities, uh, there are other challenges that often present. And so as an organization, we've made it part of our work to support our students wherever they need support. Well, that's great. And so where can people get more information? They can go right to our website, chicagoscholars.org, or find us on any of the social media channels at Chicago Scholars. Uh, There's lots of information out there, whether you're a student and you want to hear from other students. We have a Scholar Ambassador channel where they actually talk about what it means to be a scholar. Uh, Career partners can find information on us, too, because we have a jobs board and we help our alumni students with jobs and our current scholars looking for internships uh, apply as well. But all of that is at Chicago Scholars at www.chicagoscholars.org. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, our reporter roundtable. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. And it's time for the Reporter Roundtable, and we welcome Lynn Sweet, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times, Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business, Heather Sharon of WTTW Chicago Tonight, and Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune. Well, guys, there's talk out there that Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin may be jumping into the race for governor um, on the Republican side of things. He's well-liked out in Aurora. Um, I think the bigger story maybe here is that he would maybe get the backing of billionaire Ken Griffin, and we know it's going to take a lot of money to run against Governor Pritzker. So, Lynn, what do you think? Uh, I don't think the field is formed. I don't think Griffin would just underwrite totally somebody with so uh, so untested right now. Uh, his name recognition outside even of the Republican Party, which is all that it's not even clear that he's known within the Republican Party strong enough to uh, prevail in a primary. And when you remember, Ken Griffin wants to beat J.B. Pritzker. Uh, He has to assess first if who he picks can win a Republican primary. And if there are some Democratic uh, strains in his background, that will make it difficult. Well, you know, I would just like to say also that he has an interesting background. I mean, he's been to... uh, uh, Middle East for various uh, military operations. He's uh, African American. He's got a law degree, and he uh, may have more of a pro-choice tilt. We're still trying to determine exactly what his um, uh, ideology is, but um, we're still at the point now where we find this guy to be kind of curious. If you want to take uh, out some of the uh, natural uh, constituency of Democrats, uh, he may fit a profile here that could draw some votes. Uh, so w- the key here is to, is to 
beat Pritzker, obviously, and uh, he's going to be raring to go and already has things lined up and is chugging away. So uh, whoever they pick, they have to have somebody that is going to be able to bring together some kind of inviting profile that can draw votes away from Governor Pritzker. Yeah, Nick, I think that uh, that Ray and Lynn are both right. There's a lot of smoke here, uh, uh, but it hasn't yet. Uh, we, we haven't seen the fire yet. Um, uh, it does appear, indeed, that the Mayor Urban, uh, who had was originally was a couple of weeks ago, said he wasn't interested, is is now interested, uh, and potentially uh, Ken Griffin is interested in him. Too, but I'm told, I think reliably, that uh, that Griffin has made no formal commitment, and at the same time, there's some other names uh, that are emerging and re-emerging uh, who might get in the fray. One of them is Todd Ricketts, the co-owner of the Cubs, the uh, outgoing uh, head of the Republican the finance chair of the Republican National Committee. Uh, uh, there's, uh, his his spokesman during the week uh, refused to rule out a race, just saying that uh, he has no current plans, which uh, is a pretty good loophole. There's also talk about Richard Porter, the Republican. National Commitment from Chicago, who uh, I'm told decided to take a look at it after Congressman Rodney Davis dropped out. And uh, although uh, Ken Griffin would be the big pony financially here, uh, Mr. Griffin, I think, has made it be known that he expects other Republican businessmen uh, to, to pony up to the bar, come up to the bar, and put down our wallets and write some checks, too. Uh, so how this all is going to turn out is not quite clear yet. Um, it's going to have to happen. Uh, it'll probably happen right after the holidays, but it'll have to happen pretty soon thereafter because petitions start to be passed in, in, in January. Uh, but uh, at this point, I don't think we know for sure what the cast of characters is. I want to underscore very much what uh, Greg said and keeping and how open the field is. If you have uh, Richard Porter is also and Todd Ricketts, the plus here is that there are also known quantities to former President Trump. It would it's unknown whether or not Trump would want to intervene in the primary in order to whatever. Uh, you know, so so you you have. I cannot emphasize how hard it will be to win a Republican primary if somebody is deemed not a Trump Republican. Can a downstater win? Because, you know, we've got Darren Bailey, who has come out and announced uh, Stephanie Trussell as his running mate. Uh, Darren, I think, uh, was a Trump supporter. (laughs) Stephanie has kind of come out in the past and was against Trump. Um, I guess, A, can a downstater win? And and B, what's, what's Darren Bailey's angle by picking Stephanie Trussell? Well, I think uh, sure, sure, a downstater can, can win. Uh, the question is, it's got is not so much where the person comes from; it's 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 where they are culturally and politically. <clears throat> um, uh, the balance of uh, even though the Republican Party in this state, like it has nationally, has moved to the right in recent years, and is is, uh, is certainly has a fascination with uh, former President Trump. Um, uh, the the balance of power in the party in this state traditionally has been in in the in the suburbs, uh, which have flipped Democratic, but uh, could be perhaps moved back depending on the right candidate. Um, uh, so I don't. Uh, so you know, Mr. Bailey. On the other hand, it kind of acts like a downstater culturally. Uh, there's a stridency and intensity to uh, to some of his things. I don't think plays well in the suburbs, which is why I think 
what Lynn and everybody else just talked about is now starting to come about. Some other candidates are kicking tires and, and saying that, well, gee, uh, this field hasn't, hasn't moved numbers. Maybe there's room for somebody else. So the other thing to you know always factor in here is that it only takes a plurality to win the nomination. So the more people that are in the race increases the likelihood that a downstater like Darren Bailey could win because he could, he is the Trumpiest of them all so far. Uh, and unless the untested running mate makes some mistake, he has a consolidated base. And if you're looking at five, six, seven people who might get in, you could get the nomination with 30% or less. So that's the number to keep your eye on. Yeah, a perfect example to underscore Lynn's point there is uh, when Bill Brady won um, a few years back for the Republican nomination. He won only by like 130-some-odd votes, um, and he uh, beat out a field that included some strong candidates uh, from the Chicago suburbs and DuPage County, including Kirk Dillard, who came in just second, and um, one of the reasons uh, the votes were so uh, broken up were there were several people from the suburbs, and they split the votes, and Brady had a strong downstate turnout, and he was able to pull it off. If they get into that kind of situation again, then a downstate candidate could, could come together here. Now, the interesting thing is that there are other downstate candidates already in the field, so they could also break apart. But uh, it will it will come down to uh, a harder right candidate such as Bill Brady if they get a bunch of of, uh, of different uh, folks coming in with different ideologies on things like taxes and abortion and other hot button topics that will come up. Uh, big in in the minds of Republican primary voters. One other thought here, gang, before we move on. Um, uh, the, 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 the bottom line here is to come up with a candidate who can beat Governor Pritzker, who's a Democrat and who has a, a, a huge wallet of his own that he's not at all shy about about spending. Um, if I were the Pritzker strategist, I'd, I'd be kind of smiling at how this has all played out this week, uh, because because uh, uh, the the implication here, the, it's easy to sell this as well. Ken Griffin wants a lap poodle who's uh, who's going to run for governor. <laughs> you don't think the Pritzker people can have fun with that? Uh, and if the opponent uh, is is somebody who's uh, who's uh, I love Trump. Uh, kind of person, way to the political right, that doesn't play in the state very well either. Uh, so, uh, you know, having a candidate and having a candidate with money is always better than having nobody or having no money. But uh, the Republicans should have worked all this out months ago. One uh, one other thing about Ken Griffin, he has multiple plays for his option. If, let's say, he doesn't really like anyone in the field, uh, he may not bankroll anyone and just save his money for the general and he could form an independent expenditure and just bankroll millions of dollars of negative ads uh, focusing on Governor Pritzker. And who's to say, I don't, just by the few smoke signals that Griffin has put up, it doesn't mean to me that he would directly underwrite a campaign because of the reasons you all just said. Whoever is a whole, you don't want to, it becomes an Ken Griffin uh, cutout. It, it, it really is Ken running under the guise of someone else. So he could just, if it's if, if no one is 
really that great to save his money to keep hitting at Pritzker. That isn't a bad strategy either. Then he doesn't have to listen to anybody. I mean, that independent expenditure idea is just uh, go on the attack, like Lynn said, and you don't have to consult. In fact, you're not supposed to consult with the candidates. So let it fly and and see where the chips fall. Right. And that probably probably would happen anyway. He has enough money to uh, donate heavily to the party, which has its own fundraising issues to the the party and to a third-party expenditure. So or maybe even two third-party expenditures. It always helps to have an outside group do the real heavy negative stuff, letting the candidate, at least in theory, stay above the fray. And while we're talking about governor, it's interesting to note why there are multiple people and names we have interested in being governor. So far, no name has surfaced to run against Senator Tammy Duckworth. Interesting, don't you think? Yeah, very interesting. Um, uh, I mean, that's the game in American politics right now, uh, beyond the presidency. And you, you're right; there is absolutely nobody. Other there was a little, a little speculation now that uh, Ricketts, if he's really interested, might be talked into running for for senator again, rather than governor. But uh, but to put together an FEC race and raise the money uh, that's needed at this point is very very difficult. Before we jump into a house race, I just want to let our listeners know. A reason it's the state races are free, will be free from uh, contribution limits because of uh, once one wealthy person puts in money, it, it, it changes the game. In a federal race, though, you can only raise money from individuals in a limited amount and PACs in a limited amount. So you cannot have the situation that we're talking about in a governor race where one person could put an overwhelming amount of money in a contest. Uh, Congresswoman Mary Miller down in the 15th, uh, not backing down when it comes to defending President Trump. Uh, That may not help her in seeking a second term as redistricting has left her uh, in a district with three representatives. Uh, What do we think is going to happen there in the 15th, Lynn? Well, the uh, the new 15th, because we we have a a remap going on. I just want to set it up. Uh, there are two Republican districts downstate and three incumbents, so this was never going to be pretty. Uh, all my reporting uh, and the signals I have show she's going to run against Rodney Davis and not Michael Bost. Uh, Bost and Davis, uh, conservatives, Trump backers, but have long track records. Uh, they have seniority committees, battle-tested, especially Rodney Davis. What's interesting about Mary Miller is she is the she is comes from and an allied with the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, faction within the Republican Party. So you even have Trumpists in one place, but then when you go to Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's just controversial, provocative, outlandish, a believer in conspiracy theories, uh, Mary Miller has thrown in with that most extreme faction of the Republican Party. So it would be interesting to see how that could translate in a race. So into green is that her campaign senior advisor is the man who was the campaign manager for Marjorie Taylor Greene's successful 2020 race. Okay, Lynn, we're going to let you go. Thanks for hopping on with us. Okay, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
I want to get Heather in here. Heather, the mayor is battling fast food businesses, sugary drinks. This at a time when carjackings are on the rise, smash and grabs. We see all this crime running rampant. What is she thinking? Well, this is a really interesting story, and it's more complicated than it appears. Uh, Governor Pritzker just this week signed into a, signed into law a bill that essentially does what the mayor proposed doing on Wednesday. And it is not clear to me whether the mayor was completely unaware of this or, or how this happened, but she introduced it at Wednesday's city council meeting, which means that the first opportunity the city council would have to vote on it would be in January after the first of the new year. And she really spoke um, at some length about the need to fight childhood obesity and protect children and help parents make good decisions for their children. But the fact of the matter is, is that this state law, which requires restaurants when they sell a kid's meal to make the default option for the drink something low calorie and low sugar like milk or water rather than pop, um, is already in place. And um, it's just not clear to me how this came about and why the mayor made such a point of introducing this measure, um, which would not really have any impact um, in Chicago because it's already the law. So it's a puzzler. Heather, do you think that uh, that she's trying to change the subject? Clearly, the news cycle in terms of the crime stuff is, uh, has been just absolutely vicious to this merit. It doesn't – I mean, there's stories uh, every day now about uh, carjacking here, murder there, uh, child killed uh, in this neighborhood or that. Um, is she trying to change the subject? Always a possibility, but um, and there's a reason I'm a journalist and not a uh, political consultant, but I don't understand – why making this point would serve her because there was an article in the Tribune pointing this out. Uh, Rich Miller over at Capital Facts has been sort of focused on this as well. Um, I don't know how this helps her change the subject, especially after the um, text messages between the, the mayor and the governor um, forced out of City Hall by the Chicago Tribune showed an exchange between the governor and the mayor with the mayor saying that she was going to threatened to impose a mask mandate, and then the governor, 20 minutes later, very politely reminding the mayor that a mask mandate was already in place. Um, it, it, it shows, I think, at a minimum, a real disconnect between the governor and the mayor, who are, of course, supposed to be two Democrats singing from the same party hymnal. Uh, of course, Governor Pritzker is up for re-election in 2022, whereas if the mayor runs for re-election, as everybody expects, um, she's not up until 2023. It also makes you wonder just how connected she is. I mean, there's been a, a bit of a disconnect in Springfield with with her. And so uh, is she paying attention to the full scope or is she so focused on Chicago that she's tuning in, uh, tuning out rather the rest of the state? As a guy who just went to Dunkin' Donuts uh, before the show here, I guess uh, she may have a point where she wants to try to change attitudes, though, about uh, obesity. Yeah, but you had coffee with that Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, actually, it was a strawberry milk. I intended chocolate, but actually, I picked it up strawberry. Well, it just makes me wonder, though, guys. I mean, is she that out of touch? Because it doesn't seem like Pritzker and her really get along. I mean, it's like an outside observer here. And it makes me wonder, these rumors that, you know, was it the New York Times digging up something saying, oh, Pritzker could run for for president? That gets him out of the way. I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? 
I don't know. You know, I, I'm going to draw an analogy here between uh, between uh, what's happening. We just talked about in the governor's race and what's happening in the mayor's race. Um, as is, as has been the uh, up to now in the governor's race, has been nobody move the needle who's declared. Nobody who looks like they could really get Pritzker and run for his money. Well, the same is true with Lightfoot. Uh, even though she would seem to be vulnerable in any number of ways, uh, no one of consequence has really started to uh, to emerge it as a potential candidate against her. And uh, and yes, there is still a, there's probably still a few months for somebody to make a move, but it's also getting late. You know, what I keep wondering is, and, and the normal role of a politics when a politician stumbles and they have problems, somebody times somebody else comes up to, to to fill the vacuum. I've yet to see that happen in the mayor's race. Yeah, you got it goes back to the old saying: you got to have somebody to to beat somebody. You can't just uh, expect them to collapse on their own. So. Um, until somebody who looks like a real candidate, sounds like a real candidate, and has some power and money behind them comes out in either of these cases, the mayor's race or the governor's race, we're, we're still looking at a, a pretty good incumbent protection plan. Yeah, I mean, one of the guys who was on my list as a potential candidate, uh, Alderman Gil Villegas, uh, from the northwest side, the uh, chairman of the uh, Latino Caucus and City Council, uh, had made some interesting points. Uh, used to be Lightfoot's light uh, floor leader, uh, but he's now made it clear he's going to run for Congress. Uh, that takes him out of the mayoral pool. Uh, I mean, Heather, have you seen any signs of anybody positioning themselves at all? No. Um, and I think there was a lot of chatter about Arnie Duncan a few months ago um, because of the problems that Chicago is having with crime. He's been very active since leaving former President Barack Obama's cabinet um, in violence prevention programs. And I think he um, is seen as somebody who has a compelling story to tell about how to approach crime in a different way. Um, but he has receded somewhat from the spotlight. Um, but, you know, it, it's a long time away. And I, I, I do still have the sense that a lot of jockeying for 2023 at the city politics level is a little bit in limbo because we don't have ward maps yet. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted, but where was Lori Lightfoot two years before the last mayoral right. race, too? Everybody was looking at Rom. Everybody was looking at Rom and saying, "Where was she?" Twelve weeks before the the vote. Yeah, absolutely. You know, agreed. But uh, but uh, at this point, we're uh, what uh, fourteen months away from the first round. Um, it, it takes time and effort and money to put something together. Yeah, we have some time, but uh, but uh, if by light spring we're not seeing anybody make a move, I'm beginning to wonder if somebody will. All right, folks, we're going to leave it there. My thanks to Lynn Sweet, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief over at the Sun-Times, Greg Hines at Crane Chicago Business, Heather Sharon at WTTW Chicago Tonight, and Ray Long of your Chicago Tribune. Up next, Kim Gordon. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on 890 WLS. <laughs> This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. Utility relief is available for low-income families needing extra help to keep the heat on this winter. Joining me today is Sylvia Garcia, Acting Director at the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Welcome to Connected to Chicago. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for coming. Um, I know the need for utility relief grows every year, but I'm sure this year is probably bigger than in recent years or even in history due to the pandemic. What kind of 
you know, what, what kind of relief are we looking for? How many people out there need help this winter paying their heating bills? Sure, thanks. Yeah, I think under Governor Pritzker's leadership, we've really been trying to respond to the needs that are out there. Um, I think over the, the last couple of years, we've really tried to streamline our, our uh, utility assistance programs across the board. And so we know there are a number of folks that are out there that need help. Um, so far to date, we've actually been able to help a number of families across the state. Um, we've really been able to help folks in need access assistance. Um, we've got um, 100,000 folks that we've provided assistance to so far um, and, and have about $200 million left uh, in assistance for this year as well. So a lot of opportunity to help families across Illinois. And so is this need greater than you've seen in the past? Uh, I think there's definitely a, a great need. I think there's a, a continued need as, as folks recover from the pandemic. Um, I think one of the things that's really important is that folks have an opportunity to access this assistance irregardless of their, their income, making sure that they're able to pay the bills that they have. Um, since our, our launch of the Help Illinois Families program in June 2020, Governor Pritzker's program has delivered $470 million to over 300,000 unique families across the, the state. And so who is eligible for this money? So this, for this program, um, we've actually increased the income threshold. Um, so it's for low-income families, folks that are making under 200% of the poverty level. So for a family of four, that's um, $4,417 a month or $53,004 a year. So if you're a family of four that makes under $53,000 a year, you're eligible to apply. Uh, and when you apply for this energy assistance, it's pretty straightforward, really easy to do. Uh, and if you go to our HelpIllinoisFamilies.com website, you're able to apply there. Okay, and I said I believe you said there's $200 million left. So is this um, is it better for people to apply sooner than later if they're even yes. concerned that they may not, you know, even if they think they may not need it, or is it just go ahead and apply? I think folks should apply. If you meet that income threshold, you should apply. You get a, a benefit. Um, one of the big things that we did this year, knowing that there's a lot of need out there, is we increased the size of the benefit. So last year, on average, households received about $700. This time, it's about one and a half times bigger. Families, on average, will receive $1,000. And so families can put that to use today. And it's great to apply today while those funds are still available. Don't wait. Uh, we really want folks to apply now. We will be accepting applications through May 31st. But the sooner you apply, the sooner you're able to get th those funds. Okay. And how is this program being funded? So this program is funded from a variety of sources. So the low-income Home Energy Assistance Program. Sorry, it's a lot of words. We call it LIHEAP for short. Uh, it's actually a program that gets funding from the federal government every year and from the state of Illinois every year. Uh, so we use state and federal funds on a regular basis. And then due to the pandemic, we actually had uh, that program supercharged and got additional funding from the American Rescue Plan uh, and some of the other, other relief programs from the federal government. So you've got state, federal and state dollars working together to help families pay their bills. So this is record funding? Yes. Yes, it's a record level of funding and really going out to a high number of families and folks in need. Uh, but we want to make sure it goes to even more families, and that's why we're trying to get the word out today. And can't emphasize enough, going to our website, we have a, a, a hotline where we have over 30 languages that we're providing assistance in and just really trying to get the word out to, and getting this into the hands of families that need it most. And I know, you know, when it comes to rental assistance, you guys have community groups and people um, that are helping people to kind of wade through the process. I know you said this is easy, but for people who, you know, may have trouble or don't have access to Internet, is there other ways that people can go? Sure, sure. So the Help Illinois Families website is a place where folks can go 
to access their local community action agencies. So there's 35 community action agencies across the state that are experts in helping folks fill out these applications. Um, there are folks in person and virtually uh, that can help you. There's also a hotline. It's 1-833-711-0374. Again, 1-833-711-0374. And on, on that hotline, we actually have assistance in 30 different languages. So really want to make sure that if you have the Internet, if you have a phone, if you need to walk into a local community action agency, we're trying to make this as accessible as possible. Great. And when people apply, do they find out immediately or what's the turnaround time? So filling out the application itself takes about 30 minutes, uh, and it's a process that you work through with the community action agency. There's some documentation that you need, so there may be a little bit of dip back and forth. But once all the, the appropriate pieces are put together, people find out pretty quickly uh, what their benefit would look like based on their income and uh, are able to put that money to work relatively quickly. And are there any other programs that you guys are using that can help Illinois families get back on their feet due to the pandemic? Yes, actually, we are announcing a new water assistance program, which is a one-time crisis program uh, that provides uh, assistance to families that are in risk of being shut off, their, their water utilities being shut off or have a high balance of $200, $250 or more. Uh, and so you can apply for that program right in the same place that you're applying for this energy assistance program that I've, that I've mentioned. Uh, so folks can get help with heating, water, and a number of other things through this HelpIllinoisFamilies.com. And the same qualifications apply for the water? Yes, the income requirements are the same across all of our programs. That's one of the things that we streamlined over the last year. Another thing that I haven't mentioned is we were able to work through the process to make it um, your ability to apply be irregardless of immigration status. So folks can use a Social Security number or an ITIN, um, but really trying to make this as accessible as possible. And if people have already applied for heating and now they have the uh, option to also get help with water, can they go back and reapply for water? Yes, if they applied for, for heating and they have those, uh, they're in a crisis situation on water, they can apply, go back to the same place, apply again. Also, when they're applying for water, if they haven't gotten heating assistance, they can also apply for that at the same time. Do you anticipate that maybe moving forward um, that water will, you know, water help will continue or is this just a one-time thing due to the pandemic? So I think right now we've, we've got funding for as a one-time thing due to the pandemic. I think we're always looking for ways to help families and, and following kind of the direction of the federal government and the General Assembly of what funding is provided for. But we're always excited to be out on the uh, out on the ground helping families uh, pay the bills that they need to pay to, to stay in their homes and uh, really uh, flourish and, and build back better coming out of the pandemic. Great. And so is that money also coming from the federal government for water? It is. Okay, so it's part of the American Rescue Plan. Yes. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I know this is a really, really crucial crucial thing for people just to you know, be able to stay warm this winter and have the necessities they need. So thank you for taking the time. Of course, trying to get the word out so all the Illinois families heated and have water this holiday season. And thanks this week goes to Michael Garay, the senior technical producer at WLS. Merry Christmas. I'm Nick Gale, 890 WLS News. Connected to Chicago, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.